Hey guys, before you listen to this episode, I have something exciting to share. You can now watch Little Things, as in I record it live from my little in-home studio. It's on the Time of Grace YouTube channel or timeofgrace.org TV, or you can go straight to the Time of Grace app. So grab your cup of coffee, sit down, and let's chat. Hello and Merry Christmas. Welcome to Little Things with Amber L.B. Swenson. Today's episode is called The Six Lessons of Christmas. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A, child of God. Here at Little Things, we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. We're going to start with Luke chapter 2. See if you can recite it with me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So she gave birth to their firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth cloth, and laid him in the manger, laid him in the manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And everyone who heard were amazed at what the shepherd said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I had many, many years as a Sunday school superintendent, so I've directed many Christmas programs. So those words are firmly planted in my mind and my heart. I hope they have been for you too. If no, if for no other reason, because of the Charlie Brown Christmas program, which I think was one of the best mission efforts um, in the last 50 years or so to have that on TV every year. And for people who may not know much about Christianity to actually hear the story of Christmas, maybe for the first time. So anyway, the Lutheran in me uh, wants to ask, what does this mean? So what do I mean by the Lutheran in me? Well, Martin Luther was a reformer who lived about 500 years ago, and he did a great job of taking what the Bible said and explaining it. He, he made the catechism, which was a book to teach children what the commandments, what the petitions of the Lord's prayer, what the apostles creed, um, what communion, what baptism, what, the, what those things meant. And so he would take a petition or, or a commandment, and then he would say, what does this mean? And then he would explain it in easier, simpler terms so that even children could understand 
what was going on. So let's do that with this Christmas account. First and foremost, the first lesson I see as as I read just through the, the first verses, I'm reminded that God controls kings, emperors, governments. You know, we sometimes think that the people in power have all the control and they don't always watch out for us. And I wonder if Mary and Joseph didn't feel that way a little bit when they all of a sudden realized that they were going to have to go on this journey from Nazareth to Judea to Bethlehem and not at a convenient time in Mary's life. So she was very, very pregnant when she went, but this was by God's direction. He had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so clearly he used the emperor at the time to decree this census and to use that census census as the vehicle to get Mary and Joseph where they needed to be. Now, lesson number two, just because it's obedience and because they did it obediently doesn't mean that what you do is going to be easy. Okay. Sometimes we fool ourselves and think that if we do the things of God, that, you know, it's just going to be easy peasy. This is not going to be a problem. It's going to be the path of least resistance when actually just the opposite is true. So first of all, let's just look at what Mary and Joseph had to do. It was about a 90 mile trip from Nazareth um, to Bethlehem and it was uphill and it was um, probably sometime between October and April. And if that's the case, that would have been the wet season. So showers would have been likely and which would make things a little bit colder. Along the valley of the Jordan River, archaeologists have found signs that says, beware of the bears, the lions, and the wild boars. Um, they would have had to have been taking all their food and their water either carrying it or if they had a, a mule or a donkey or something, um, they would be bringing that with them. But it, it is basically like camping out. So it's not a super fun way to travel, especially when you're nine months pregnant. Um, when she got there, they couldn't find a place to stay. So it wasn't like she finished this super long journey and was able to go rest in a nice bed for a while. And, you know, the normal average person, healthy person, not pregnant, not super, super pregnant person could have gone about 20 miles a day, but it's safe to guess that they maybe did considerably less, like maybe nine to 10 miles a day because of Mary's condition. So it would have been a long, arduous journey. In fact, James Strange, who was a, Nor a New Testament biblical archaeology professor at the U of South Florida in Tampa, said this, the writers of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke are so laconic, that means using few words, because they assume the reader would know what it was like. We have no idea how difficult the journey was. It, it's so easy to just recite a couple verses of the Bible and not think of how hard that was. Like I said, I was Sunday school superintendent for years. And I can assure you that passage that says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. When you are trying to teach that to like third and fourth graders, 
that is extremely difficult for them to learn. So they might not have an idea of where Nazareth is in Galilee, and you can teach them and you can say it's kind of like saying a city and then a state. But just that whole sentence, that whole phrase is difficult to get out. And it should just be a physical reminder that this was a difficult journey. This was no easy task to get Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So just because you're obeying, that doesn't mean you've got an easy road. In fact, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4 said, you know, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. And James, who was Jesus' half-brother, said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Look, we know as Christians, we're going to be going against the culture. We're going to be doing things that are very different than what the world celebrates. So it's just the opposite of us thinking that if we're obeying, then it should be an easy road. It's just the opposite. We're going to always be swimming against the current, and it's going to make things much, much harder when we decide to live for Christ. So that's lesson number two in our Christmas lessons. Lesson number three, even though it's difficult, God strengthens and he sustains. Look, um, it's so easy for us to be thinking that something is too hard. There's no way we can do this. Or we look at what is ahead of us, whether it's the task of raising children or helping elderly parents or getting through the marital problems that we have or overcoming an addiction or whatever it is, it's easy for us to look at it and say, there's just no way it's impossible. But we can look at this account in the book of Luke and be reminded that, yeah, it's going to be hard. It might be hard, but God was with them. He got them through the valley of the, of, of the Jordan River. He got them uphill. He helped Mary. Mary didn't have Jesus along the way. She didn't um, collapse or, you know, not be, she wasn't unable to continue. Clearly she made it to Bethlehem. That was God sustaining her, helping her, giving her the strength that she needed to get through it. So whatever you're facing, whether you're in thousands of dollars of debt, or you have a house that you need to clean out, or you have a hundred pounds to lose, or you have an addiction that you can't seem to whip, take it to God. Ask him to sustain you. Ask him to strengthen you. Ask him to aid you on the journey. Because this lesson reminds us he will. Lesson number four. Jesus was for everyone. I love this part of the account of Jesus' birth. That the angels appeared to the shepherds. First of all, I love it because it was like heaven could not wait to announce that Jesus was was there, that he had arrived as flesh and blood, that the process of redemption was started in a very tangible way. I was like, all of heaven just couldn't wait with that great company of heavenly hosts just appearing. I cannot imagine what those shepherds saw that day. But I want you to understand who the shepherds were. Again, we so quickly go through this and we just say, oh yeah, the angels appear to the shepherds. And you know, we have our fun little angel costumes and our little shepherds with their little hooks and and we don't think anything of it. But that would be a, a huge mistake. 
So Kretzmann, who wrote the popular commentary on the Bible, he wrote this. While the shepherds who belonged to the poor and lowly of the land were thus engaged in the pursuit of their calling, a miracle of the Lord took place in Bethlehem, of which they were to receive the first news. Note, not the great and mighty of the nation were chosen as the recipients of the wonderful tidings of the nativity of Christ, just as not proud Jerusalem, but little Bethlehem became the Lord's birthplace, but lowly shepherds of the plains. Jesus is for everyone. He is not for just the high and mighty. He's not for the people who have it all together. He's not for the people who have been in church all their lives. Jesus is for you. He died for you. He came to earth for you. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of where you are right now, he came for you. I don't know how to make that any more comforting than it is, but it is extremely comforting to me. Number five, the shepherds could not contain what they had heard and seen. When the angels announced what had happened, they immediately went to see for themselves. And then they told everybody they could, they could about what was going on and, and, and what was happening. They didn't shrink back in embarrassment. They didn't say, oh, who would want to hear about this? They were like, no, this is, this is how it was. Do you have the joy of the Lord in your heart? Is that how you respond to people when they are worn out from the things of this life, when they are overwhelmed by all the things that are happening around them? Are you quick to tell them where you get your hope and about what God has done for you? Because we should be. We should be just like those shepherds in Bethlehem. In the last lesson, lesson number six, is that Mary pondered these things and treasured them in her heart. Just yesterday, I was teaching my um, teen Bible study at church, and we were talking about the feeding of the 5,000. And right after the feeding of the 5,000, in the book of Mark, the disciples are crossing the lake, and Jesus went up to uh, pray on a mountainside, and then they got in some trouble. Uh, there was a storm that came up, and Jesus walked to them on the water, and then he calmed the water, and there was just this little phrase that said they had not understood with the loaves and the fish because their hearts were hardened. Okay, so let me just explain. So the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had tried to get away from the crowds a little bit to give his disciples some rest because they had just come from their first like missionary journey and and he was trying to be with them and and they, there were so many people around that he said let's let's go away and you know so you can get some rest and the crowds found them and Jesus didn't turn the crowds away he welcomed them well, it got to be towards evening and the disciples said to Jesus, you know, we need to send these people away because they're going to need to find something to eat. And Jesus said, you feed them. And the disciples said it would take six months wages to feed a crowd this large. Like, 
I don't know where we're supposed to get that kind of money. And Jesus asked them, what do you have? And they had five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus blessed it, multiplied it. And 5,000 men were fed, which means, you know, likely there was at least 10,000 people with women and children. Um, And the point that the disciples didn't get it, even after everyone had eaten, there were still 12 baskets of bread left over that they picked up. And the fact that the disciples didn't get it, we can look at it and we'd be like, man, those disciples were so blunt. You know, they, they were so dull. How could they not get that Jesus had multiplied, you know, this little tiny lunch to feed thousands of people? But that would be a mistake because I think we miss miracles all the time. I asked the teens, they're, at least half of them are driving now. And I said, you know, have you ever been driving along and either you weren't paying attention or you were paying attention, but you narrowly avoided an accident? And they're like, yeah. And I said, you know, how many times do you just dismiss it? Like, whew, that was close. I said, but how do we not know that God didn't prevent that accident? either by causing the other person to suddenly see what was happening or causing you to respond quickly or having your angel literally there putting distance between the two cars. You know, we so qu- we're so quick to explain things away. Like, oh, that was a close call. Move on. I said, don't do that anymore. Give credit to God. Thank you, Jesus, for keeping me safe there. Thank you, Jesus, whatever it was, whether it was me being right on the ball and being able to respond or the other person or or an angel. Thank you. I said, how many times have you been really sick? Like sick, sick. And you were praying and asking God for healing. I said, don't just when you get better, be like, oh, phew, you know, I have a good immune system or those antibiotics really worked or whatever. I said, give the glory to God. We're so quick to just dismiss miracles. But I'll tell you what, if you're a mama out there and you've raised children for any number of years, I can tell you countless miracles with my children. I was saying that in that Sunday school class. I was telling them how one child had gone headfirst into an oak tree when she was sliding. And when she got up, there was blood seeping all throughout her hat. She was wearing a tan color hat. And I just saw this circle of blood just seeping across the front of her forehead. And I couldn't even bear to take her hat off. My husband's a nurse, so I ran in with her and he took the hat off. And very quickly, we realized she had to go to the hospital immediately. You know, so many things could have happened. She could have been brain damaged. She could have had major trauma in her life. Turned out, I mean, she had a couple staples and she healed very quickly and nothing else wrong. And praise Jesus. I mean, absolutely thank the Lord that he spared us a major, major incident in that moment. I could tell you so many more too. That's not the point. All of us who have lived any amount of time, we know that God has prevented us from major injury, major trauma. When we have had major traumas and tragedies and things, dilemmas, storms in our life, he has been there. And we have been able to see how he has provided and sustained and been with us. So, you know, we need to be like Mary. Man, ponder those things, meditate on them, tell the next generation to encourage them when they get in these binds, when things happen and they're like, I don't, I don't know. No, you do know. God's been faithful in the past. 
he will most certainly be faithful again. We can trust him, hands down. Don't waver in your belief at all. Trust, 100%. Hopefully this has been helpful and edifying to you because as I was going through the Christmas program, the Christmas account in Luke again today, I thought, man, God, this is good stuff. This is 20 verses and you show us so much about who you are and how you take care of your people and how you're with us. And that should be extremely encouraging to all of us. I wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. I can't wait to spend time with you next week and then in the new year. God's blessings. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things.